Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're back in Matthew. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Ask, Seek, Knock. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Oh, it feels good to be back in Pastor Ben's uh, favorite classic rock songs <laughs> to introduce the Gospel of Matthew. I'm still going to auction off my, um, my classic rock album collection, so you just get ready. Um, this uh, part, of, uh, part of Matthew, we're featuring Kansas and uh, carry on. So... Um, if you don't like classic rock, it's just too bad, because <laughs> Pastor Kevin and I do, so that's the way it's going to go. And there'll be more. There's more coming. There's at least three or four more coming. And if you like Billy Idol, Boston, you know, not to mention all that we've been through. So anyway, it's good. It is good to see you. I've been uh, thinking about you actually quite a bit. I've actually been really excited um, for uh, today. I I really look forward to Sundays and I look forward to um, drawing the truth out of the text. But today was really special. In particular, last service we had a baptism. And uh, the stories, the testimonies were awesome. And uh, you get to see uh, such a great uh, couple come to know Jesus and you know, I, I don't know if you know how rare it is, but when um, adult people come to Christ and you see a husband and wife come to Christ and one baptize the other, it doesn't happen as often as you might think. And it's been happening a lot over this last few years at Vail Christian Church. Most people get baptized as a child or as a teenager, and um, we um, kind of forget how... Um, the older you get, the less people, actually, the statistics go way down for people be, being baptized and coming to Christ. And so um, it's so exciting to see somebody's life transformed and changed. And as a part of their testimony, um, they used some words that kind of stuck out to me um, of how Vail Christian Church has an, had an imprint on their life. And I, I really like that. Those are their words imprint that um, Vail Christian Church had an impact and an imprint of Jesus on their life. And uh, that was exciting to hear. That means that, um, that means that Jesus in your life is rubbing off on people's lives. And so we wanna, uh, I'm just really um, grateful and excited that the Lord is using us in the midst of all kinds of craziness still, right? It's, uh, there has been no doubt that I, I think that at, in the beginning of this new year, um, there's, there's no lack of or shortage of craziness still happening in our culture and um, in our country, across the world. Um, just, if you're not careful, just uh, turn on the news. And if, you're, if you don't believe that there's some craziness, just turn on the news. So... Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I don't know about you, but um, periodically, my wife, or even still my children say, oh, yes, Dad, I've heard that before, you're repeating yourself. And, 
And it is true. In fact, I can be in the middle of a conversation and my wife or children can say, yes, we heard you say that. You've said that a couple of times now. And, um, and it's true. I repeat myself. I've even been known to repeat myself over and over again in one single Sunday morning message. And so it happens. Why do people do that? Why do people repeat themselves? In fact, if you read any of the Apostle Paul's letters, you'll find him repeating himself often, right? He is the king of run-on sentences, and he'll repeat himself even in one sentence. And so it doesn't seem like to me like it's a bad thing. Um, and as I read the teachings of Jesus, I find Jesus repeating himself as well. He will say things over and over again, repeatedly. He'll um, say things uh, two or three different ways, and it's the same exact invitation or thing that he is addressing. And that's what we're going to look at today. My desire, my, my heart today is that we would, and that you would, at the top of the year, I think it's the best time, and uh, in particular, to recommit ourselves to prayer, to refocus our commitment to prayer and so um, I want to look at uh, two passages today, and so um, turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 14. I want you to find these for yourselves if you can. Open up your phone, open up your tablet. I will reluctantly put some of these verses up, but I want you to find them for yourselves, underline and make notes for yourself. And I think you're going to see Jesus repeat himself. Matthew chapter 7 is where we'll start. We'll start at verse 7 and read some familiar verses. Matthew does such a great job of featuring some detail, actually, of Jesus and what he wants to communicate. So starting in verse 7, in Matthew 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Is there anyone among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then um, you can just turn over to Luke chapter 14. And just briefly, I want to just recount just a scene. It's a parable here, Jesus' teaching. We don't have to read the entire parable. We'll just kind of start at verse 17, and I think you'll get the gist of it real quickly. In verse 17 in Luke 14... At the time for the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who had been invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But one after another, they all begin to, uh, to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going out to examine them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, and I cannot come. So the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then 
the master of the household was furious. And you can just leave it there. And he said some things after that. And you can read the rest of the story for yourselves, but this is what I want to do as we draw the truth out of the text today and kind of focus on what is Jesus doing here? What does he really want? What is he after? When you pause for a minute, when you just take a minute and kind of step back and consider that the infinitely powerful or strong God can do anything and everything that he pleases and that he is infinitely righteous and good and he can do anything that he wants and he only does what is right and that he's infinitely good so that everything he does is perfectly good And that he's infinitely wise so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good. And that he's infinitely loving so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he cares for his children. When you stop and consider just who God is, what he's all about, and the invitation of God to ask him for good things that he presents to us with promises that he will give them, I think it's pretty amazing that the God of the universe can do anything he wants and he invites us, he invites us, he gives us an invitation to ask him for good things. I think that is also, in my view, Maybe the greatest tragedy in life is the prayerlessness that exists in church or in the life of a Christ follower. Just how little we actually pray and take up take up prayer. The greatest invitation in the world is extended to us from the creator of the universe and we regularly turn away to other things. It's as if God sent us an invitation to the greatest banquet ever that there ever was. And we send word back, hey, I bought a field, I gotta go check it out. I bought some oxen or something, right? I gotta go see it I just got married and I got a wife now. I can't come. It's stunning to me. And my prayer is, is that, that we would recognize in the midst of the truth that is presented here in Matthew 7, because Matthew does a magnificent job of <clears throat> simply laying out exactly and featuring exactly what Jesus says here. My prayer is is that God would motivate us today in this word from Jesus and and awaken a new desire um, to pray. That's what I'm I'm hoping to do here. Because we're going to kind of do it in just a a, a couple of ways. First, we're just going to look at there there are actually eight encouragements from Jesus to pray. 
And it's amazing. There's eight crammed in these few verses right here. And then we're going to try to answer the question, how are we supposed to understand these promises um, that we'll receive when we ask and when we find and seek and have the door opened when we knock? So I want to look at these encouragements from Jesus to pray because that's what he's doing right here. He's encouraging us to pray because six of these encouragements are explicit in the text and two are implicit. And it seems clear to me that Jesus' main purpose, when you really examine these verses, is to encourage and to motivate. That's what he wants to do, encourage and to motivate. He wants us to pray. He really, really does. So how does he encourage us? Number one is, um, it's pretty simple. He invites us to do it. And you might take that for granted, but three times... He invites us to pray, or you could say three times. He actually commands us to pray, because I actually believe that they are commands. He commands us to pray, to ask him for what we need. And it is, again, the number of times he invites us that gets my attention. Because I know what I'm doing when I repeat myself, and you do as well. In fact, we do it so often, it's habitual, actually. You know, we repeat ourselves because we want to make sure that we are heard. And we're not exactly sure that whoever we're talking to is listening. That's why we repeat ourselves. It's the same principle of raising your voice, actually. Why do you raise your voice? Because you don't feel like you've been heard. So you just say it a little louder. Right? And usually, what accompanies raising your voice is what? Just a repeat of what you've already said. You just said it louder. And what do you get from people? I heard, you know, whatever. Well, if you heard me, then, okay. So you see, look at verse 7 and 8. Look at verse 7. I'm not saying Jesus is yelling, but I don't know. Ask and it will be given uh, to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, the repetition is meant to say, I mean this. That's what it's meant to be. That's the repetition. I mean this. I want you to do this. Ask your father for what you need. Seek your father for the help you need. Knock on the door of your father's house so he'll open it and give you what you need. Ask, seek, knock. I'm inviting you three times because I really want you to have the advantages of your father's help. And when you put it like that, it makes you want to sit up and go, okay, all right, all right. I'm listening. I heard. Oh, okay. Isn't that what your children say when you repeat yourself and you just kind of say it over and over again? Okay, yes, dad, I heard you. In fact, one of the times where when, when I'm helping people through sort of conflict resolution, one of the things that I usually say is like, okay, when someone's all fired up and upset and they want you to know, all right, and they start raising their voice, that's when you need to stop and say, okay, okay, okay. Let me see if I can repeat back to you what you've said. And then if you can repeat back to what they've said to, to, their, to, the, um, to their satisfaction, it doesn't solve the conflict, but at least you're there and they're like, okay, I've been heard. And that's a great place to start. 
So the second thing here is that Jesus makes promises to us if we pray. I, I, I know you've seen that. It's pretty simple here. It's, it's better and it's more amazing than the three invitations <clears throat> because there's promises that follow. Look at verse 7 and 8. Watch this. This is crazy. Watch this. This is awesome. Ask, and number one, it'll be given to you. There's a promise. Seek, and number two, you'll find. That's a, that's a promise. Knock, and number three, it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, number four, receives, and the one who seeks, five, finds. And to the one who knocks, here's six, It'll be opened. Then at the end of verse 11, all right, the second half of verse 11 is the seventh one. How much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Seven promises there. It'll be given to you. You'll find. It'll be open to you. The asker receives. The seeker finds. The knocker gets the, an open door. The Father will give you good things. Surely... The point of this huge array of promises is to say to us, be encouraged to come, pray to him. Praying will be worth it. God's not messing with you. (laughs) He answers. He gives good things when you pray. Be encouraged. Pray often. Pray regular. Pray now. Pray confidently. I know it kind of sounds simple, but I don't know if we ever look at this or take him at his word, right? Look at all the promises. Here's the third thing. God makes himself available at different levels. And I don't know if you've known this. Moms know this, actually. Young moms know this if you've got more than one child, too. Because Jesus encourages us not only by the number of invitations and promises, but by the three different varieties of invitations. In other words... God's ready to respond when you find him at different levels of accessibility. Have you ever seen some of those YouTube videos where there's this young mother and she goes, she's just hiding in the pantry with a snack that she's saving for herself and not, doesn't want to really share with the children, right? You've seen some of those or find yourself locking yourself in the bathroom even though you're not taking a bath or anything else, but you just want some privacy, because the children know where you, they find you and they need you and they're always looking for you, right? And they're always, you know. Well, look at this. Ask, seek, knock. See, if a child's father is present, he asks him for what he needs. If a child's father is somewhere else in the house but not seen, he seeks his father out for what he needs. Where are you? I need you. If the child seeks and finds the father behind closed doors, what does he do? He knocks to get what he needs. In fact, in our house, you had to say, you better knock. The point seems to be that it doesn't matter whether or not you find God immediately close, almost touchable, hard to see, even with barriers between He's going to hear and he's going to give good things because you look to him and not somewhere else. You see? It's not like he's hiding. 
How about number four? Everyone who asks receives. Uh, this is obvious, yes. But look, at Jesus encourages us to pray by making it explicit that everyone who asks receives, not just some. Verse eight, look at verse eight. Everyone who asks receives. Do you see that? The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it'll be opened. When he adds the word everyone or everyone in verse eight, he wants to overcome our being timid and hesitant that somehow it's going to work for some people, but not for us. I like that. He's talking about the children of God here, not just all human beings. The children of God, if we will not have Jesus as our Savior and God as our Father, then these promises don't apply. They don't, okay? John chapter 1, verse 12 says, To all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God or the sons of God. To become the, to become the child of God, the sons of God, we have to receive the son of God, Jesus Christ, who gives us the authority of adoption, who, gives, who adopts us. That is who these promises are for. Okay? For those who receive Jesus, every one of them who asks receives good things from his father. The point is that none of his children are excluded. All are welcomed and encouraged to come and ask, seek, and knock. Now, number five, are we coming to our father? We have implied it now. Let's explicitly with a certain amount of oomph, whatever. Let's, let's apply this now explicitly. When we come to God through Jesus, we are coming to our Father. See, look at verse 11. If then, and watch this, although you are evil, that sounds harsh, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? See, Father isn't just this throwaway kind of word or label for Jesus, all right? He's using it not as a just a throwaway word, right? In other words... It's one of the greatest of all truths, actually. God is our Father. The implication is that He will never give us what is bad for us. Okay? Never. He's our Father. So number six, our Heavenly Father is better than our earthly Father. So Jesus encourages us to pray by showing that our Heavenly Father is better than our earthly Father and will certainly give us good things to us um, or good things more than our earthly father did. There's no evil in our heavenly father like there is in our earthly father, in other words. Look at verse 11. If then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I am aware, just like you are, and Jesus was even more aware that our earthly fathers are sinful. This is why the Bible repeatedly draws attention not only to the similarities between, our, between earthly fathers and the heavenly father, but also to the differences, okay? So Jesus goes beyond the encouragement of saying that God, our, uh, that God is our father and says that God is always better than our earthly father because all earthly fathers are evil and God is not. So Jesus is really blunt and unflattering here. You notice that, right? This is 
a clear instance of Jesus' belief in the universal sinfulness of human beings. He assumes that his disciples are all evil. He doesn't choose a softer word like sinful or weak. He simply says that his disciples are evil. Don't ever limit your understanding of the fatherhood of God to your experience of your own father. Know that God has none of the sins or limitations or weaknesses or hang-ups or faults of your father. And the point Jesus makes is even fallen, sinful fathers usually have enough common grace to give good things to their children, usually. There are terrible, abusive fathers, but in most places in our world, fathers want good things for their children, even when they are unclear about what is good for them. God is always better. This is the point here. In Him, there is no evil. So the argument is really strong, isn't it? If your earthly father gave you good things, or even if he didn't, how much more will your heavenly father give good things? Always good things to those who ask. That's what comes from the Heavenly Father. And there is something implicit here that underlines encouragement number four, right? Above the word everyone, everyone who asks receives. So if Jesus says to his disciples, you are evil, then the only people that can come to God in prayer are evil children of God. You are children of God. You are evil. In other words, even after you are adopted by God into his family, sin remains in you. But Jesus says, everyone will receive, every one of God's evil children, we will see why in just a second here, okay? So watch this, number seven, we can trust God's goodness because he has already made us his children. So here we go. It's an implicit encouragement to pray, God will give us good things as his children because he has already given us the gift to become his children. So we've already seen that being the sons of God is a gift we receive when we come to Jesus. We saw that in John 1.12. Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 8.42, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. But God is not their father, see? They reject Jesus, so not all, the sons of, not all are the sons of God or the children of God. But if God has freely made us sons, how much more will he give us what we need? See? So, eight, the cross is the foundation of prayer. Think this through. Implicit in these words is the cross of Christ, is the foundation for all the answers to our prayer. The cross is the centerpiece. The reason I say this is because he calls us evil, and yet he says we are children of God, sons of God. How can it be that evil people are adopted by a holy God? How? How can we presume to be children, let alone ask and expect to receive and seek and expect to find, knock, and expect to have the door open? Jesus gave the answers several times, actually. He repeats himself. Matthew 10, 28. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He gave his life to ransom us from the wrath of God. And put us into the position of children 
who only receive good things. Matthew 26, 28, he said at the Last Supper, then we celebrate the Last Supper right here. What's he see there? This is my blood of the covenant, the promise, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Because of Christ's blood, our sins are forgiven and we can trust him. This is why even though Jesus calls us evil, we can be the children of God and count on him to give us good things when we ask him. See, the death of Jesus, and that's what we celebrate, right? We celebrate his death until he comes. The death of Jesus is foundational to all the promises of God and all the answers to prayer that we ever get. This is why we say at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name. Why? Because everything depends on him. Everything. So pull this all together then, Pastor Ben, and show me, what does this have to do with me? How does this connect to me specifically? Number one, it should stick out really, really, really in your face. Jesus really wants to encourage us to pray. I know this because of all the promises and all the repetition. He really wants us to do this. So how do we understand these promises in verses 7 and 8 in particular? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open. Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. Does it mean that everything a child of God asks for he gets? I think the context is enough to answer the question, no. Okay, no. We don't get everything we ask for, and we should not, and we wouldn't actually, or at least you shouldn't want to get everything you want, right? You should know that about yourself enough because of the people in your life. Nobody should get everything that they want especially me, right? So the reason we should not is because we would, in effect, become God if God did everything we asked him to do. We would be God. And good thing I am not God because <laughs> it would be really different, right? And, and isn't that amazing how if, if, if you think this through, if you want people to depend on you, then if you allow stuff to just kind of unfold where people are going, oh, oh man, oh, oh, I don't like this. See, you have no reason to go to God and no reason to depend on God if everything just goes like you want it to. So, we should not be God. We also don't get all that we ask for because the text implies this. Jesus says in verses 9 and 10, right, that a good father will not give his children a stone if he asks for bread. He's not going to give, he doesn't, you know, a good father doesn't give your kid a rock if he wants bread, right? Or a snake if he asks for a fish. So let's ask, what if a child asks you for a snake? What are you going to do? Uh, no, you don't need a snake. I mean, I don't know. There's, people have these terrariums full of snakes. I don't know why, but they do. Uh, 
Does the text answer whether or not the Father in heaven will give it? See, look at verse 11. Jesus draws out this truth. Look at verse 11. He draws out this truth in an illustration. Therefore, how much more will your Father give good things to those who ask him? See, here comes this. What does this have to do with me? God gives good things, only good things. He doesn't give snakes to kids. So the text itself points away from the conclusion that asking to receive means asking to receive the very thing you ask for when you ask for it in a way you ask for it. It doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that. If you take the passage as a whole, it says that when we ask, seek, and knock, we pray as needy children looking away from our own resources to our trustworthy Heavenly Father. He's going to hear and He's going to give us good things, and sometimes it'll be just what we ask for. And sometimes just when we ask for it, and sometimes just the way we desire it, and other times He gives us something better or at a time he knows is better, or in a way he knows is better. And that's not always the way I think. And of course, this really tests our faith, doesn't it? Because if we thought that something different were better, we would have asked for it in the first place. But we're not God. We're not infinitely strong and infinitely righteous and infinitely good and wise and loving. So what does this have to do with me? Find, find God's mercy in this. Look, it's a great mercy to us and to the world that we don't always get what we ask for. That's how God is merciful and good thing. Have you ever thought of God's mercy that way? Yes. We have to think this way. It's a mercy to us into the world that we don't get all we ask. But if we take Jesus at his word, you don't forfeit the blessings for yourself or your family or, or your church or our nation or the world that we live in. If you take Jesus at his word, what is he going to do? He's going to give you good things, good things. Good things. Take Jesus as his word. He does what he says he's going to do. I think we need to recommit ourselves to pray. I mean, it just sticks out, doesn't it? It's just right there in your face. He's repeating himself on purpose. It's an imitation from the infinite, strong, wise, righteous, good compassionate, loving God. He invites us to ask, seek, and knock. And he is not irritated about it at all. Not at all. He's not hiding. He's not camouflaging himself in any way. This is just the antithesis. This is what he wants of the people he wants deep relationship with in spite of our being evil. <laughs> I love this about God. The truth is so good here. 
just want to go back to Luke 14, though. I mean, the master who sent out the invitation, if you read the end of the story, he was furious. He was furious. It's, it's, it's like he, it just, he just wanted the banquet to be full. He sent the invitation out, and, it's like, and people just went, oh, I got better things to do. He sent his slave back out, and he said, go get anybody and everybody. Offer it to everyone. I want the banquet to be full. But there were people that just blew it off, right? This is also the heart of God. He really, really, really wants this from, the, from his people. So, by your head with me. Thank you, Lord. I'm praying that we will take you at your word. And that we will pay attention to the invitation. Thank you for being repetitive with us. Thank you for all the promises. Explicit and implicit. Thank you, Lord God. Now help us to claim the promises. To take your son Jesus at his word. And be the people you've designed us to be. And pray. And in this year, 2021, I'm praying God that you would light a new passion and a new fire in our hearts to pray. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.bailedchristian.com.